This podcast is a ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Hatfield, Pennsylvania. And now, the message. Well, today we're going to finish a series, the series, uh, All the Places You Go, based on a book by John Ortberg, but it touched on some truths that, that are especially poignant for us as a church body at this point in our life. We've come together, Montgomery Baptist and Crossroads, and we are in the process of forming Crossroads at Montgomery. We're going to start rehabbing the building, and June 4th, God willing, we will move and have our first worship service in the new campus. By the way, June 4th, yeah, you want to celebrate that? Yay! By the way, June 4th is also Pentecost. I do not think that is an accident. Uh, so we are hoping, we're, we're already praying for 250 or more people at our opening, um, and that's going to create space problems, and that, don't you love causing problems? I love, love causing problems. So we hope already you're beginning to tell your friends and neighbors and coworkers about what God's doing, and that you'll invite them to come at least celebrate with us on that Sunday, and uh, kind of check out the new digs, and uh, Lord willing become attracted to who Jesus is and what he has to say. So today we're going to talk a little bit about closed doors. Thank God for closed doors. Let's have a word of prayer. God, even as we mention that title, um, we pause. We're, we're, to be honest, we're not sure we want to thank you for closed doors. We've all experienced them. They're almost never positive And yet, we believe that as we wrap up this series, as we talk about the opportunities that you open in our lives, we have to talk about the opportunities that you close in our lives. And so we would ask that as we look at your word, that your spirit would be free to speak to our hearts. We're not interested in just gaining new knowledge. We're interested in being changed by your word and by your spirit. And so we are intentional in these moments. We have had a chance to worship you. We confess our sin. And now we invite you to speak to us. May my words be your words so that these, your people, are conformed to your image. And I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So every time God closes a door, somebody somewhere gets ticked off. Every time God closes the door, somebody decides they know better than him. And every time God closes the door, he is up to something. Some of the greatest prayers ever prayed were ones that never got answered the way they were hoped to be answered. Some of the greatest doors are the ones that never get opened. If you have your Bible this morning, open it to the book of Revelation. Uh, It's at the back of the Bible, last book of the Bible, New Testament. We're going to project the scriptures up here as well. But as as I give you a chance to do that, I want to remind you that what we've been saying through this series is that open doors are divine invitations to help make make our lives count with the help of God, with God's help, for the sake of others. How easy it is for us to think of doors opening and new opportunities as being a benefit to us. 
But the truth of the matter is, when God opens doors and opportunities in our lives, he intends for us to use them for others. And we started the series by looking at this passage, and we're going to end it with this passage as well. In Revelation 3, verse 7 and 8, we read this. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? And, you, and if you don't know this, the background, this is the Apostle John. He's, he's been sentenced uh, to living in Patmos, this rough island. Uh, he's been exiled, and he has a vision. And, and in this vision, he sees heaven open, and he, he sort of sees the end of the story but in this process, before he has these visions, there are these messages to churches, churches that are contemporaries of his. And these, each of those seven churches have a, a specific message to it. We, we studied that some time back. This is the message that's given to a church, the church in Philadelphia. Not our Philadelphia, but it works. <laughs> these are the words of him who is holy and true who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So we just want to make the point that we get all excited about a God who when he opens a door, nobody could shut it. We just have to deal with the fact that when he shuts a door, and he does shut doors, no one opens them. So what are we to do when God shuts doors in our lives? If I'm honest, I don't like closed doors. In fact, I chafe at opportunities that close. I always tend to think that maybe there was something I should have done that I didn't do. What could I have done differently? Why is the world always against me? Why does never... And right, and all that talk starts to pour through our heads. None of us like closed doors. I mean, think about it. What's the biggest encouragement to pray? Answered prayers, right? You pray for somebody who's sick, and, and they, they, they get better. Jerry's back. Yay. Yay. One new hip, one more to go, right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, but it's great to see him. But we pray for people, and then God answers, and we say, boy, I want to pray some more. People have needs. And we say, Lord, they really need. And, and when he provides, we're so encouraged. We want to pray more. And we're feeling anxiety and we pray and God brings his peace and we're so glad. But what do you suppose then is the biggest demotivator for prayer? Unanswered prayer, right? I mean, when, when you want more than anything to simply find the love of your life and marry, and it never happens. What you want is what every person wants. I want to have children of my own. And God just doesn't even seem to listen. When all you've been asking for is that this crippling depression would leave, would stop, that's a reasonable request, and nothing seems to make it better. When you've been cheated, Somebody stole your promotion at work. Somebody took advantage of you. Somebody hurt you, and it wasn't just, and you pray that God would make it right, and instead, nothing. Nothing like that, or, or circumstances like that, make us just not really excited to pray next time. If you struggle praying, it's probably because, well, I tried it, and it didn't do anything. Now, 
doors, when they close, they tend to discourage us. We feel like an opportunity has been lost, like somehow life has been diminished. It's just natural. Even though, if we think about it, it's probably good that some doors close. So often, a door closes in my life, and I'm frustrated by it. But then, given enough time, when I look back on that same frustrating closed door, I look at what the options are now, and I say to myself, thank you, God, for closed doors. In fact, that's exactly what Garth Brooks says. Haven't you had that experience? When Cindy and I think about when we first were trying to move to this area, we looked at, we were traveling from Lancaster. Our home in Lancaster had already sold. The, the clock was ticking. And we looked at home after home after home after home. Most of them weren't really what we're looking for. But as time went on, we felt some kind of pressure and panic. And we said, OK, put in an offer. And the realtor would call back and say, actually, it's already sold. And we'd do the next one. OK, and, and sometimes, OK, put in an offer now. That's already sold. It's already sold. It's already sold. We started to weep in the car. What are we going to do? Our family was going to be sitting on a stoop on a curb somewhere. And I remember thinking, there were a couple of houses that we just, we would it was, we, if only, and God said no. In the end, we got to build a home that was way beyond what we had ever dreamed. And now we drive past some of those homes and we say, oh, thank you, God. Right? Back in 1994-95, I was pastoring a small church. And a, a man in our church said, hey, I would like you to meet someone. And so he set up a lunch appointment. I met with this man. And this man had an opportunity for our church that was just unbelievable. You see, money that was invested with him and his firm, all ministries, the money had been growing beyond anyone's imagination. I mean, percentages and increases that were just astounding. And he didn't let everyone in on this. But because we had a connection, he was going to let us invest as a church. Your building fund or your savings or whatever, you could double it in just a couple of years. And there was proof on the ledger sheet that this has been happening. But by grace, somehow we didn't have the insight to invest in New Era, which later became one of the biggest Ponzi schemes to happen in Pennsylvania. I remember when we missed the opportunity, and I thought, God, come on. <laughs> oh, my. We thank God for unanswered prayers. And yet, let's be honest. Even though we're thankful for some, the minute you run into the next closed door, we bang it. It's frustrating. There are doors that I would kick down if I could. And there are other doors that are so ambiguous, you wonder, oh, you know, God, just give a little clarity here. What do I do? In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, and this is so familiar to you, he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. But you do notice, don't you, that he doesn't say which door to knock on. He doesn't say how loud to knock on that door. He doesn't say how long to keep knocking. I mean, do I persevere here or do I cut my losses and go somewhere else? Do I stick with this company or do I go look somewhere else? When do you know when to hold them and when to fold them? And the answer to that is, we don't know. Man, it's so maddening. It's almost as though God seems to say, Mike, there are some things I want you to learn. And you knowing for sure the answer to your questions really doesn't matter. 
It won't affect the outcome. You're going to learn what I know you need to learn, and you don't, know, you don't need to know all the answers. So let's just take a few minutes and ask ourselves, what, what kinds of things might God be up to when he closes a door in our lives? And again, careful, we're not saying this is for sure because we don't know. And yet, if we look at the scriptures, we see some ex- examples kind of ring true. First of all, sometimes we might be knocking on the wrong doors, just flat out knocking on the wrong doors. In Mark 9, verse 5, we read this, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Hang on, you know the story? Peter, James, and John have followed Jesus up the Mount of Transfiguration, and there suddenly Jesus changes into this glorious state. And he's joined by Moses and Elijah. And the three of them are having a little like Holy Ghost confab. And the the, the disciples are just awestruck. It says they were so afraid. In verse 6 it says, he did not know what to say. Peter did not know what to say. I want to point out that when Peter didn't know what to say, he talked anyway. (laughs) The idea of being quiet just never seems to occur to him. And so he speaks up and he says, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. As though somehow Jesus and Moses and Elijah were all peers, equals. And uh, Jesus says, "Um, yeah, no, bad bad idea. Bad idea, Uh, Peter. No, we're not going to do that. That would be the wrong door. Just a little bit later in Matthew 10, we read another little story. These, uh, these brothers, James and John, sons of knuckleheadness, thunder, whatever, they go to Jesus and they have this request, say, Lord, hey, we have this request. And okay, Jesus says, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other sit at your left in your glory. That's all. We, they just wanted to upgrade their seats in the kingdom, you know, just, just if you don't mind, since if nobody else has claimed it, <laughs> Jesus goes, No. In fact, he says, you have no idea what goes with what you're asking for. Bad idea. He slams the door shut. Now, there's another story in Luke, and we won't even look there, but at one point when when a town rejects the gospel, the disciples say, Lord, you want us to to pray down fire and just just obliterate them? And he says, no, bad idea. No. Over and over and over. In fact, the Bible is full of closed doors. Moses, Jeremiah, Elijah, Jonah, they all have at least one thing in common. Do you know what it is? Each of them at one time prayed that God would take their lives. Aren't you glad God sometimes says no? Maybe some of you have prayed that prayer. Lord, if this is the way it's going to be, just take me home. If you really love me. And God says, no. No. Like every wise parent who won't be provoked by the foolishness of his children. Thank God sometimes God closes doors and says no. Remember that person that you thought was your soulmate? I read about a guy that, just like the song, he he did go to a high school reunion where he bumped into this girl that he had been nuts about. But now, years later, once again, that same prayer was prayed. Thank you, God. He knows because he heard her whisper it under her breath. 
There's, there's an encouraging word. You could be someone's unanswered prayer. So sometimes we're knocking on the wrong door. The, the, we're, we, we don't know it yet, but we think it's a great idea. God's saying no because it's just a bad idea. But here's another thought. Sometimes we're knocking at the door. I skip back. I apologize. Sometimes we're knocking at a door and the door doesn't open because there are, there's something better ahead. He has a better plan and we just don't know what it is. Now, there's so many illustrations in the scriptures we could look at, but I, I read a story, it's not in the Bible, about a young man who was coming from an impoverished background. And he really wanted something better for his family, for himself. And so he worked and he saved and he worked and he saved and he scrimped and then he borrowed everything, every bit that he could. And he, with a partner, opened up a grocery store, hoping to, to create a better life for he and his family. But his partner had an alcohol problem. And within no time at all, the store and the whole, the whole endeavor had failed. In fact, he was in debt for 10 years trying to crawl out of that hole. It just didn't work. It was like the door slammed shut. And finally, he thought, he, well, okay, business didn't work. He thought he would try law. So he went to law school, and after law school, went into politics and later became the president of the United States. Abraham Lincoln understood that sometimes God closes doors that don't make sense. If you listen to his second inaugural address, almost the entire thing seems to be referencing this mysterious character, characteristic of God that he has a plan that escapes our awareness, but that he is at work to do something better than what we could have imagined. Well, sometimes doors close because there's something better. Sometimes they close because we need to grow. And stepping through would just make it, we would skip a lesson that was important. In 2 Corinthians 12, we read about Paul. And some of you know this story. Paul, this great apostle, this great spokesman for the gospel, this, this church planter, changes the globe. But we sometimes forget that he had a prayer request. You see, he had this physical weakness, this thorn in the flesh, he called it. Well, we'll read it starting in verse 7, the second half of verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, Paul says, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that what you say every time something goes wrong? <laughs> Me either. And yet, if, if God would ignore Paul, no surprise he might ignore you or me. And he's ignoring us, not because he doesn't care, but, but because he, he has something in mind for us, he wants us to grow in a way that we wouldn't without the hardship. 
In the book of Acts, there's a story about this magician, Simon. Simon sees the apostles healing people. And he goes up and he, he plumps, plops down some cash and he goes, Hey, I would like that ability too. God, God didn't answer that request. See, he was asking for the wrong reasons. God knows that we need to grow. Sometimes, like in Paul's case, when the door never opens, it's because God is trying to draw us closer to himself. He's trying to make another gift, another strength more apparent. He's trying to get the spotlight on his ability, not ours. I'm going to be honest with you. Not only do I have a lot of weaknesses, I, I don't like any of them. And if I got my way, I would have them all fixed. But when I think about the person that I would be, if God ever let that happen, I shudder. I hate to say it out loud, and I'm, hope, I'm hoping he's not listening, but, <laughs> yeah. I am thankful for those weaknesses. I am thankful for the times when he does not answer prayers, when he doesn't make something better, especially when instead he's going to shine, not me. So, before we move on, let's ask some questions. Are your toes out where I can step on them? How do you need to grow? Do you need patience? We all know what happens. If you need to grow in your patience, God will send those ECR people into your lives. Extra care required. Those people that make you bite your lip when they just, right? Just, just to, he sends them. Does that mean he doesn't, he's, he doesn't listen? He doesn't answer? No, he's answering the bigger prayer. He's helping us grow. Do you need humility? You say, I don't think so. I think I'm great the way I am. No wonder you haven't succeeded. It's no wonder that things have crashed and burned every time you touch them. It's because your father loves you and he wants you to understand that you're not all that in a bag of chips. But he loves you anyway. Maybe you need to grow in your generosity or your freedom from the love of money, which is why you have never hit the lottery. <laughs> and why those promotions don't come and those things don't go your way and you don't experience the financial gain that you keep hoping. People around you are winning and you are going nowhere. God, why won't you answer my prayer? And he says, because you love it too much. It would poison your very life. Maybe you need the ability to delay gratification. So God closes every right now door. He leaves unanswered every right now prayer. Seriously? Come on. And, and the more impatient we get, the more doors slam. Boom, 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 boom. When are we going to learn? Maybe we need to grow in our ability to love others to really see them the way God sees them. Which is why God doesn't answer our prayers. God, please change them. I mean, seriously, you must see what he's like. 
I mean, he would drive you crazy. I mean, just come on. Why are you working in his life? And God says, I'm not really working on his life right now. Sometimes God says no because we need to grow. How do you need to grow? Wouldn't it be fun to break up in little groups and just come, come clean right now? Let's do it. Yeah, do it. Just, okay. <laughs> Brave. Sometimes God closes doors because he has plans that I do not. Last week, Pastor Jim finished up the story of Jonah. What a great illustration of the fact that God has a plan that never entered Jonah's mind. In fact, Jonah's effort to stop God's plan doubled the plan. You see, God loves people that we never even know exist. You know, Israel, as a nation, wanted what God promised. He promised that they would be special, that they would be a blessing to the world. They imagined that they would be influential, that they would be a military power, that they would be prosperous and secure. That's what they thought. God's plan was different, and yet they have influenced the world more than any nation ever existing, but not the way they thought. One of my favorite people, Herman, Nicholas Herman. He wanted to be, he dreamt since he was a boy, of being a, a, a famous, victorious soldier. He lived in a time of conflict. But as his life unfolded, he ended up by being kitchen help in, to a bunch of monks. Nobody even knew he existed. But while he was there, he decided to play a little game to try an experiment. He said, what would it be like if I acted like Jesus was right with me every time I did anything? What if I acted like I was doing it for him, he was standing right in front of me? How would that change my perspective? And out of that came, out of his journals and his writings came this book, Practicing the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence, who he came to be known as, has touched the lives of hundreds of thousands of us. You see, God didn't answer that prayer because he had a different plan. I don't know, do you ever, I have to be careful. I wanted to talk about the way the world views God's plan, but I, I just kind of got to check in my spirit. The truth is, we tend to think just like they do. So let's just make it about us. The world has this strange idea about what God is like and what his kingdom would be like. But if we look at creation, if we look at what he's done, we get a hint. For instance, we know already that everything we see is actually made up of parts that are smaller than what we see. Every piece of material is made up of atoms, all those, or molecules, and all those molecules are made of atoms, and all of those atoms are made of these smaller parts, and those things are made of even smaller parts that we can't see. Isn't it interesting that the biggest thing we can see, a mountain or a planet, is made up of parts so tiny we can't see them? How important are small things? in God's plan. You see, doors that look large to us look small to God. And doors that look tiny to us can be big to God. It's this great inversion that we talk about, that the kingdom is upside down. Jesus said it. 
He said, in my kingdom, the last will be first. The weak will be strong. The silly will be the wise ones. And the servant will be the greatest of all. Mother Teresa said, and I love the quote, when people would talk to her about their burden to do something for God, she would often say, please don't try to do something great for God. Just do something small, but do it with great love. You see, God has a plan. He has a way of doing things. If we could just get it in our minds that the thing that you think is so small and insignificant could be the turning point in someone's life. You just don't know. Well, then how do I know what to do? Just love. Do what opens before you with humility. One, one last thought, and that's this. As we complain about closed doors, we just have to be reminded that God himself knows all about closed doors. It's not just us. Revelation 3.20, we read this. Jesus, standing, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. It's not just us who hope that God would open doors. Did it ever occur to you that God is hoping that you will open a door? He waits. He knows what it's like to be on the other side of a door. Why does God allow people to suffer? Children to suffer. Injustice to go on. Why do our urgent, consistent, persistent prayers go unanswered? Why? We don't know. But I will say this. It's important for us to remember that at the very heart of the gospel itself is an unanswered prayer. In Luke 22, 42, remember the scene. It's after Jesus has met with the disciples in that upper room. He's, he's now said, come on, go with me. Let's go to the garden. And he goes to the garden. He says, hey, guys, could you stay up? Pay attention. I need to pray. Jesus knows what's coming next. And he's troubled. If you're tempted to think that our Savior just kind of floated through the crucifixion, you are wrong. The, the thought of what was about to happen did to him what it would do to any of us. And so he began to pray. And this is part of his prayer. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. This was the most desperate prayer ever prayed. Prayed by the most discerning spirit who had ever lived. Coming from the purest heart that ever beat. And the prayer was for deliverance from the most unjust suffering that has ever existed. And all it got was silence. Heaven wasn't moved. The request was denied. The door didn't open. 
I don't know what you're facing, but I think Jesus understands. And yet, from that unwanted, unmerited suffering came hope that completely remade the world, rewrote history. See, ultimately, the ultimate answer to suffering, including the suffering of an unanswered prayer, the ultimate answer for that suffering is found on a blood-stained cross where Jesus paid for every penalty, every obstacle. The Son of God himself suffered. You ever ask yourself what would happen if some of those hard prayers got answered? What if, what if Israel would have been a mighty military power? Or, or what, if, what if Paul would have been cured from that thorn and gone on to perhaps been an even more influential person, but maybe not quite so Christ-centered? What would have happened if in the Garden of Gethsemane, God, the Father's heart fluttered, and he said, well, gosh, this is not right. Okay. And he redeemed the Son. What would have happened? No cross, no death, no resurrection, no forgiveness of sins, no outpouring of the Spirit, no birth of the church. I, okay, I, I don't know... None of us know why some prayers get yeses and some prayers get noes. We just don't know. But we do know about the cross. And on the cross, God's no to his only son was turned into God's yes for every human being who had ever lived. One last thought before we go. I think there's a promise that goes beyond all these doors. There's a promise that goes way beyond. In John 16, again, Jesus is walking with his disciples and he's telling them a little bit about what's going to happen next. Verse 16, we read, And Jesus went on to say, In a little while I will see you no more, and then after a little while I will see you. And in the next part of the text, the guys are, are wrestling. Wait a minute. He said, he'll see a little now, and he's not. What does he mean by that? And they're discussing amongst themselves. What are, they, what, what are you talking about? What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. In a little while, he says. In their impatience, they wanted answers to those prayers right now. They wanted the doors opened. They wanted questions answered. Jesus says, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me again. We now know that what he describes as a little while doesn't feel like a little while to us. But that's the first lesson. What seems like a long time to us, it doesn't, and I want to be careful here, we say, it doesn't seem like a, little, a long time to God. We all say, we know that. Now, do you understand that his reality will be our reality? It's not right now. But when we say it doesn't seem like a long time to him, it means that when we enter his kingdom, it won't seem like a long time to us either. What seems like a long time to us will actually turn out to be only a little while once we gain an eternal perspective. He goes on. He says, And Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what it meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me, 
no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. And then he says this, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Fact. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. So, uh, this is not a new passage to me, but as I was thinking about it, it occurred to me that he doesn't say, I know you're going to have grief now, but, of, but from this point on, you'll only have joy. He doesn't say, like, once you get to heaven, from then on, it's joy. That would be great, wouldn't it? But what he says is, our grief is turned to joy. Now, I can't tell you for sure if this is true, but I couldn't find any reason in the Greek text or anything else to say that I'm wrong, so I'll just assume I'm right. See, this sounds retroactive to me. Your grief will be turned to joy. All that grief that has piled up in our lives, it's not just erased. It's turned into joy, joy points. What if it all changed? Can you imagine looking back in eternity and not seeing grief, seeing, oh, 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 and there's actually nothing bad about the whole thing. Look at what God did. He says your grief will be turned to joy. I think, that's, I think we're okay to read it retroactively. You think you got a lot, of, a lot of grief in your life right now? Add that up. Add that up. Because that's going to count. He says, it's like a woman giving birth. We understand that analogy. And, and we're not going to go there, ladies. I don't have a clue what you go through. I've, I've been at a few births. Uh, that's all I know. I'm not going to get up here and say, but everything is fine after. I have been told it's not necessarily exactly the way it goes. But you do get the bigger picture, which is what comes after makes or puts that grief, puts that pain into a perspective. And it's really, even though we joke, not many moms say, if I had it to do over again, I'd, well, you do, maybe you've said that. Okay, but, but I mean, but not in reality, only in times of frustration. He goes on to say, so with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And then he adds something. And, you will know, and no one will take away your joy. No other circumstance is going to erase this. For those of you that are pessimists and you're always waiting for the next shoe to drop, the day will come when there will be no more shoes. Then he says this, in that day you will no longer ask me anything. Now at first I saw this as kind of sarcastic. I mean, after all, they're constantly asking Jesus questions. Jesus, what about this? Jesus, what about that? I mean, anybody raised little girls? Okay. And I sit in the back seat. Our firstborn was a daughter. <laughs> I, we've all experienced that. Maybe it's that, but I see something a little bit more profound here. He says, when, when we get there, you won't ask me anything in this context. Why, God? Why not this? Why not that? And now, there will be no question. 
Oh, of course. Of course. Of course. The stories we like best are when the hero finally explains, this, is, this was my plan all along. Boom, 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 boom. And we go, ha, ha, that was great. Do you know what this day will be like? When every circumstance, every closed door, every painful event, every time of grief is suddenly turned, and now that you look at it from a different perspective, you ever see those things that, you know, they look like a jumble until you turn it the right way and it spells a word? God's going to turn those events in our lives, and all we're going to see is Him. In every atom, in every moment, every nanosecond, every brainwave, every thought, every feeling, He's going to be right there working out His plan. There's only going to be one thing to do. We're going to cheer. Yay, God. See, this powerful characteristic of that joy will be, we won't have any more questions. We'll be settled. We'll be fine with it. So our study of doors is done. But our interaction with doors probably isn't. Doors are going to be all around you every day. Open doors and closed doors. In fact, for each of us, today is an open door. Today is an opportunity to step through the chance to make our lives count with God's help for the sake of others. It could be right here, right now. Today, today you could make a decision to change something, to go a direction that you've been thinking about but you haven't acted on. Today you can make a decision to come to faith in Jesus as your Savior. Today you can make a decision to be generous and trust God. Today you can make a decision to take the risk, even though you were hurt once before, and reach out and encourage someone. Who could be encouraged by you? Who could be welcomed by you? What insight could you offer? What help could you offer? What service could you offer? What burden might you relieve? What injustice could you resolve? See, we as a church face that opportunity. Our merging and our moving, that's all just such a blessing to us. But this opportunity has been given to us for the sake of someone else. Someone who hasn't come here yet. Someone who right now is struggling with crippling depression. Who is struggling with ongoing addiction. Someone who is so, finds their only security in their money or in their looks or in their talents. As long as they're on top, they think they're worthwhile. The minute something goes bad, they think they're worthless. There are people who are in pain. People who are alone. We today have the chance to decide to do something about the next door that appears. I don't know what yours will be. But when it appears, you will know it. What will you do?
One thought in closing. The, the, the Bible's story opens with a closed door. Remember Eden? Adam and Eve sin. They're kicked out of the garden. God puts a cherubim with a flaming sword. The door is closed. That's how the story starts. But when you look at Revelation 21, John describes the end of the story. And he describes God's city, this city of gold that floats. And he says that a city, like any city, every, every city has walls. Because in that time period, you needed walls to protect yourselves from the evil that was out there. So every city had walls, and to get in and out, you had to have gates. And, and so those gates were important. They had to be guarded. They had to be shut at night to keep the evil out. But this city of God at the end of the story has 12 gates. In fact, it says each one of them is made from a single pearl. That's where the term pearly gates comes from. And it says that the gates are open and never shut because there is no night. The story starts with a closed door. It ends with an open door. When are we going to learn that? So let me ask you. Let me ask you to make a promise to God. God, by your grace, the next door that opens in front of me, the next opportunity I have to be a blessing, big or small, whether somebody's going to notice or not, I'm going through it. I'm going through it with all my heart. That's for you individually. Church, God already opened a door. We're going through. How will you go through it? Well, this will be interesting. Let's see what happens. <laughs> or are you going to throw yourself through? Say, this is probably one of the most exciting things that I'll ever be a part of. I am going for everything. That's what God offers. Let's pray. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, we start there. We want you to know that Jesus loves you. He loved you so much that he died. He endured that closed door so that you could know God's open door. I don't know what would stop you from trusting Jesus as your Savior today. If you never have, today is the day. That door is open to you right now. But for the rest of us, especially those we're at risk, especially those of us who are at risk who sit here week after week after week, and we become immune. Well, that was an interesting message. Well, that was meaningful. Boy, that really touched me. But if I wait just a few minutes, by the time I get to the parking lot, it'll, I'll get over it. If today is like most weeks, by the time I'm halfway through lunch, I won't remember exactly what it was that moved me. Do you really think that is why God opens doors for you? So that you can ignore them and forget them. I want to encourage you as I have to encourage myself. If the door opens, if God moves your heart, the time to act is today. It starts with telling somebody. Even before we leave this building, you might want to turn to somebody and say, hey, just for the record, I just want to make sure I put it on the record that I was convicted today and I'm going to take the next door that opens. I'm committing myself. I'm going through with gusto. I'm going through wholeheartedly. This has been a little bit of, too much about me. I need to grow. 
I need to be generous. I need to show love. I need to be patient. That's what God's working on me. I just want you to know so you can hold me accountable because next Sunday, I want you to say, so did what door opened and what did you do? There's only one opportunity. When the door opens, we step through. Step through, brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, I, I can't imagine what you went through. I hear the passion. I think I can barely understand the pain that you experienced and the, the purity of your prayer and to hear nothing back. And still you went to the cross. And you loved us. You loved me. Now you've redeemed us. You've redeemed me. And now you're changing us. You're changing me. I so want to be more like you. We want to be like you. We thank you for the door that you have opened for us as a church. And we ask that you would help us to go through with wholeheartedness. Who knows whose life gets changed next? May it all bring you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Intro music by bensound.com. Visit us online at crossroads-cc.org.